Okay, we're continuing on in First Corinthians. Now, if you look at the sermon insert, you get you should be scared because <laughs> there's so much on it. I think uh, one of you, one of you, you know, had a glimpse of it during the week, and he looked at him and go, "Oh no, it's going to be a long, long one." Um, so, you know, I I reflect on what do I what do I share? Like, what do I teach you? Um, what do, what do we learn together when we come together on Sunday? And it's not just reading the scripture, and it's not just giving you advices um, and giving you my own reflection on things. If I do that, I mean, I can skip through a bunch of pages and just go to the end part where I just share a couple of my points of view, and it will be done in like 10, 15 minutes, as you would like, maybe, some of you. But what I, and you know this, the reason we do like Bible study and the reason we come together and study, isn't just so that you are being fed, but I want to train you so that you can feed yourself. And part of what I want to teach you through the sun, during Sunday, um, as we go through these books, is that you also get to learn about how to look at the scripture, and how to reflect correctly, and learn about how to exegete, how to understand the scripture based on the literacy, um, based on you know backgrounds, cultural, and, back, and based on you know the language and whatnot, and uh, history. So I want to teach you. So I think even though this may be um, I don't know dull, and you feel like oh what do I use this for? My hope is that you see some of the things that how I approach the scripture and text, and you also learn to apply it in your own reading, if you do read Bible, uh, in your own reading of the Bible. And uh, I do think that you learn, because I think you guys are, those of you who's brought up in LifeLight, are the better um, interpreter of the scriptures. Because right? you, you learn to look at it in the context. You learn to look at it in, in you know, to figure out what is the, really the point. You learn to understand, to look at it in different various uh, perspective and, um, you know, different things. So you really learn how to look at the book the passage in the text of the Bible theologically, correctly. So, I'm encouraged by that, and I want to continue on doing it, but that also means that you get to suffer a little bit through um, when we go through some of the texts that are hard to understand. And uh, this will be a good one. And the reason I have this is, well, that's the reason I have it, and we're going to go through this, but I'm only going to go through this once. And today, I want to show off a little bit about Paul. I'm going to show him off a little bit. He is a brilliant scholar. And he's very impressive, very brilliant, and his background, obviously, he was a Pharisee. So he knows the Word. He knows the Old Testament. He knows how to write. Uh, he doesn't say it here. As a matter of fact, he actually says the opposite. In this text, he says, well, you know, I don't like to brag. You know, I want to use, you know, just, you know, simple words and whatnot. But he's, what he's wrote here is this complex and brilliant. And it's like, uh, it's like when you... Like Miss 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 USA or you know beauty pageant and someone who wins the pageant pageant goes up there and goes you know it's not really all about the outer appearances it's really what's in your heart that matters um, that's that's Paul it's like someone who is really smart PhD talking about you know it's not about what you know and all these books and things you know it's really about how you live your life that's kind of like what Paul is doing he's saying I'm not going to use complex words and sophisticated you know, the rhetorical analysis on these things. I'm just going to use, use simple words. But, he's really not. <coughs> he's really not. 
So, we're going to look get into that a little bit. And what we have today is a very well-known text. And some of you write off, you understand verse 8. Verse 18 is a really well-known text. Right? Uh, so, we're going to try to dissect that and show you how Paul's teaching is really brilliant. And that there's one simple message in this is that what Paul is saying that we have and we proclaim one message. And that is our message. And that is... The message is the foundation of our unity, which is the cross. Uh, so we're going to look at that. But before we do, we want to understand our context, again, to get, a, to get a better understanding of our text. So what's our context? Why is Paul writing this? That was actually pretty hard to get to, because he doesn't say, as you know, he just kind of moves on to this topic of the message of the cross. And go, what is the relation to what he was talking about prior to this? So, some of you who were, there, who were here last week and the week before that, you remember there's a division in Corinthian church, right? There's a division. And this isn't just a division of following a different leader. This is a division that runs deep in them. This is a division of race, culture. This isn't something that they favor one thing against the other. This is who they are that they're divided to. And who they pride themselves to. So it runs deep. So there's division. But why does Paul launch into this talk about proclaiming the cost, cross? And his point, I'll give it to you, the whole thing. His point is that wisdom of the world is not equal to what we understand as the cross. That there's a contrast between God's wisdom and the wisdom of the world. So my guess is, it's got something to do with the wisdom of the world and that there's bragging that's going on within the Corinthian church. Someone is bragging about, you know, who is um, bragging about the wisdom, bragging about what they know. And we're going to see that in the way that Paul uses the scripture by the context um, that he, he picks out the scripture out of. So what this is, is Paul's uh, diagnosis of the root causes of the Corinthian conflict. This is why this is going on. This is why you're divided. Something to do with wisdom. And they're bragging. And after all, this is in the Greek world. And what do Greeks do in the first century? And in, in previous their history? They brag a lot about speaking. Like, the celebrity in Greek world are, the, are, are who? Philosophers, sophists, uh, uh, you know, oratists? Or, or, oratists? Right? These are people who go out in the public and start bragging about what they know. That's their celebrity. It's like, in our time, it's like dancing or acting. Actors, you know, it's like dancing with the stars. Or um, people giving TED Talks. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Something like that. So, that's their celebrity. This is Greek world. So, they brag. Right? So, they brag. Um, and that's normal. So, what I'm imagining is there's stuff going on in the Corinthian church and their Greek group. Remember I told you that the division runs racial, geographic, different people, different upbringing. So there may be Greeks in the church who's bragging about, you know, we come from this heritage of philosophy. We have Plato, we have Aristotle, we have all these people, and we have great wisdom. Maybe they're bragging about that. And maybe Jews are defending or bragging against them, saying, well, we come from this you know, heritage of Old Testament, we have signs, we have prophecies, we have all of this. I don't know what Romans are doing, they're just saying, oh, we're just rich. <laughs> um, so there's all this bragging going on, and Paul is pointing out that, and what is what he's pointing out is this. Paul is saying, 
your bragging, which is causing the division, is completely antithetical. It's against, it's opposite of the message of the cross which unites us. That's what he's saying in the text. And we're going to take a look at that. So let's go ahead and read. We'll read the, through the simple version. And I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 to chapter 2, verse 2. Verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, are just the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Things that are not to reduce the of so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of life, Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you give us understanding, you help us to stay focused, to desire to know the truth, desire to know more, and that all your message that we hear is something fresh, something that will touch our heart by the power of your Spirit, that we are convicted and that we desire to be changed. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. So already 10 minutes has gone past, so I'm going to try to run down through this really quick. Because I promised someone that I would. Alright. Let me give you... I'm going to impress on you on Paul and his writing style. Right? What we try to do when you look at the scripture, when you try to share the message of the gospel, you're doing it in a certain uh, dynamic of culture and background of people. So you want to relate to that. And we have the example of people doing that, like Paul, through the 2,000 years of history. Like, but Paul is the first person to ever do it. And he does it really brilliantly in this society and culture of Greeks and, and Romans. And the Jews, too. So, here's what he's doing. When you look at this back here, go ahead and take a look at it. His writing style is called ring composition. And why is it called ring composition? Because the beginning comes around... And end comes around in circle. That's why this is called the ring composition. They usually have three sections, and it's balanced. Stuff is just in there as a filling. So, for example, there's 
A, B, A, so A, and there's a B, and comes back to A. There's also, sometimes in five parts, go to A, B, C, B, A, or in seven parts, A, B, C, D, C, B, A. So it's where the, the structure of writing comes back in circle in three, five, seven, or even more. Like what we have here is 14, 13 parts. Uh, it's 14 verses divided into 13 parts. And we're going to see Paul do this again and again, particularly when he's talking about the Lord's Supper in chapter 11, and also one of the most famous uh, of Paul's writing, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the chapter about... No, this is stuff you hear at the weddings, right? That actually is a ring composition, and we'll get to see that. I'm not going to do this again, because this is so much work uh, to put this together. Uh, but when I say this is a ring composition, you get to understand what you're looking for in that text. Uh, this is called Paul's Hymn to the Cross. And what you see is the word proclaim, proclaim, proclaim here in the bold. So the proclaim is in three different parts. In the beginning, middle, and at the end. And they, it ties the whole thing together. So it's really well constructed with great care. And it's following the classical prophetic patterns. What Paul's writing, his style of writing here is same as the prophetic writing we see in Book of Prophets, particularly Isaiah. So Paul, being a Pharisee, is an expert in prophetic writing. He memorized the whole thing, right? So what he's doing, he's writing in the same pattern of the prophetic writing, in the same rhetorical styles. So, and but you see, the climax of his saying is, where? In the middle. In the middle is climax or the point, the core of what he's trying to say. So take a look. In part one, I divide into 13 parts for you here. Part one, it says Paul was sent, right? Christ did not send me. And part 10, in, uh, in 13, it says Paul came, right? In part four, uh, which is the other side of it, is part 10, they complements well, with the power of God and wisdom of God. So, if you read part 4 and part 10, with nothing in the middle, let me go ahead and read it for you. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Those are, that's two together, and it's so smooth that if the stuff that's in the middle are missing, you wouldn't know the difference. It just flows smooth. Uh, you see part 2 and part 12 complement each other. They both have scriptural reference. Part 2, which is verse 19 here, is a reference of when it says, For it is written. That's Isaiah chapter 29, 14. And uh, the Isaiah, the word destroy here is the same Greek word as in what you see in verse 18, in the same above, above where it's perishing. Those are two same words. Uh, so Paul is using that and complementing each other. But the context, I told you about how the context of Paul, the scripture that Paul is using gives us hint into the context of what he's talking about. So Isaiah, the context of this, where this verse comes from, is about, I'll read a little bit of it, is in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13 and 14. It says, the Lord said, because these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips. So it's talking about the wisdom. They're saying this stuff in good, great wisdom, but this is nothing. This is meaningless. That is the context which Paul draws this verse from. And same thing, in the part 12, you see that this is a, a 
more or less Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 24 and this is that is against the judgment of Israel where Israel was just praising with lips and wisdom and showing off with all of that and God says something else and that's in the back underneath our text of the day uh, Jeremiah chapter 9 22 to 24 thus says the Lord do not let the wise boast in their wisdom so this is a context where Paul is writing picking out these scriptures and he's doing it and it's complementing each other Look at, chap- look at part 11 and part 3. Part 11 answers the questions of part 3. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the Jewish, you know, where is the scribe? Part 11 answers, there's not many, not many are powerful, not many of no- noble birth. So they're complementing each other, right? Part 5 and part 9 both appeal to uh, believers, right? Part 5 says, Paul affirms that God saves through the foolishness of kerygma. Uh, which is the message, and in nine, part nine, that kerygma, that message is defined as Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. So they complement each other. Part eight and six, we're coming close, right? Eight and six uh, are both um, both regarding Jews and Greeks, and they complement each other, right? What Jews and Greeks demand and desire are stumbling blocks. Stumbling blocks in Greek uh, translation is what you see, scandalon, that means scandal. And that's what it means to be scandal, right? Scandalous. And foolishness is the Greek word is moris, which where we get the word moron, right? That's what it means, right? Moron. So they complement each other. And uh, note there's a, I boxed it, 1, 7, 13. So everything in between is just feelings, right? They're feeling, because it can just go from 1, 7, 13 and make sense. It just runs smooth. So the climax verse is in the center, and that is, we proclaim Christ crucified. And that's the message of the cross. That is Paul's point, that we proclaim Christ. Isn't that great? Isn't it brilliant? So you're going to see this, and if you see it, you'll be able to maybe recognize. And not everybody sees it, even a lot of commentators don't see it. And uh, so the verse that we have it divided from 17 to chapter 2, verse 2, is very... You won't find that division in other like Bibles you see, but that's how Paul has constructed. So, here's how knowing the structure, structure of passage also helps us to understand the text better. For example, and I'll give you one example of it. When you look at verse 26 and 28, and that is at the end of uh, part 9, and uh, no, part 10 and 11, when you look at that, a lot of commentators, and you hear this in maybe different sermons, they refer this to Corinthians, right? You know, when he says, you know, for example, consider your own call, brothers and sisters, for many, uh, not many were wise by human standard, and blah, blah, blah. And what it's saying, if this is about Corinthians, it's saying that you are not so smart, not powerful, or worth much, but God used you to become wise and powerful in the message you proclaimed to Corinthians. That's how most people will interpret this because that's what they see here. But that's problematic. And we understand, we find that that's not the correct interpretation by three things. First, there's a con- contextual problem here. Because this sounds like Paul is complimenting Corinthians. Is Paul in the mood of saying nice things to Corinthians? He's not, right? He's got nothing nice to say to Corinthians. So he couldn't be saying these things as if they've achieved something great. You reached out to all these Greeks and all these, you know, Romans, and you're doing so good. They're not, right? 
And he's also saying, oh, some of you are like worth nothing. You're poor. You're nothing in the despised in the world, and um, and you almost as you don't exist in the world. He wouldn't say that because he would also be saying to other people who are well off and who are doing well. So contextually, it can't be that Paul is complimenting the Corinthians. Now, second one is a translation issue. When you look at verse 26, it says, Consider your call, own call, brothers and sisters. So we need to understand the word call here, which is class N, and we talked about this in Bible study. This word refers to someone urgently inviting, and that person who's inviting has the authority to invite. Right? Authority. So God calls us to. So this, consider your own call is invitation. Consider your invitation to God. It's not the calling, like, as we understand, what's your calling in your life? It's not the calling, but basically means, how did you become to believe? So, also in uh, part 9, verse 24, it says, But to those who are called, same word, kletois, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and wisdom of God. So, when you look at both of them together, and especially verse 24, it says, The called refers to believers, uh, by its context, that they came to believe. Like, when you came to believe. Then, verse 26 can be understood as, think about when you became believers. Right? So, Paul is saying, think about when you became a believers. What did you believe? You know, was it the human wisdom? Did you hear something really sophisticated? Philosophy? Was it the logic? Was it the, the power of church that you wanted to join? Why did you come to believe? So, that's Paul's argument, right? So, translation is poor here because there's no linking of you, and I crossed it out if you look at it here. I crossed out the you here. That shouldn't be there. Of you, in part 11. For there are, not many were wise, not many. The Greek word is just, you know, old poloi, which just means repeating of not many. So lastly, there is a literary standpoint when we look at it, the structure here. So, Paul's not talking about Corinthians, but making a general statement here about not many were wise, not many were uh, powerful. Because we know that because he's mirroring which part? 11 mirrors 3, right? So, basically, he's replying to verse 26. In, uh, in verse 26, replying what is in verse 20. So what he's replying is, there are not many wise people by human standard. There are not many powerful, like Jewish scribes. When he's talking about powerful, he's talking about Jewish scribes. There are very few Jewish scribes, and they held great power. And Paul knows this, right? Not many of noble birth, like Greek, you know, Aristotle. They are of Greek noble birth, right? Not many, right? Um, but the foolish things, he's saying foolish things, not you people. So he's not referring to Corinthians, but he's referring to foolish things. God chose to shame the wise, uh, not the Corinthians, but by what is foolish in the world. So Paul is talking about the message. He's talking about the cross and not Corinthians. So that's one example of how looking at the context, looking at the literary structure, it helps us to understand the structure of the um, scripture in a better point. Okay, so what is Paul telling the Corinthians here in our text. He's telling that, you know, you're divided and you're fighting against each other and thinking you're better than each other, you know, better than the other. But he's saying from the previous verses, we know that, but Christ is not divided. 
He's not divided. You forget that He's the one who died for you and who baptizes you. And that's the message that I preach. And I do it with simple words. Because it's a simple message that sounds really foolish, like the birth in a manger, and you know, which is low-born for Greeks, and death on the cross, which is foolishness to Jews and Romans. There's no power or wisdom in it as far as the world sees it, but you know, because you believe, you came to believe through this message of the cross, that this message holds power and wisdom of God. Like you look at people like Herod and, you know, Caiaphas and Pilate, are they alive? No, they're dead. But Jesus says, there is power and wisdom in God. And that's the message that you come to believe. That you are called to believe. Which is not a lofty word, which is not a complicated philosophy, which is simple truth. Which some of you have been bragging about. You've been bragging about wisdom, because you're Greek. You've been bragging about power, because you're Jews. But being Greek or Jews has no power, nothing to brag about. We only brag about Jesus. And we do that by telling others, proclaiming the truth, that foolish message of cross. That's what Paul is saying. There's nothing for you to brag about in your background. We only proclaim this simple message, and that has most power and most wisdom. I'll show you a couple of things that Paul is doing that is amazing. You look at this here, and what is this on the side? Here's one thing that Paul is doing. Paul is telling what he's telling here, and grabbing attention of both Jews and Greeks, which is the divided group, right? And this is brilliant, what he does. To the Jews, what you see here is a structure of double ring composition, because you see double ring here, right? Double ring composition. And this is identical to the composition you find in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 5 to 11, which talks about this unique servant. And it it uh, mirrors exactly the part, the third song of, there are four songs in Isaiah, third song of that four, those four, which is titled, The Suffering Servant Song. So as Paul is doing this, you can, you can kind of tell the Jewish readers are listening to this and the, the bells are ringing. I go, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. So it's like you hear a song that you know, but it's sung differently, but you go, wait a minute, this song sounds kind of familiar, right? So that's what Paul is doing. Paul is engaging the Jewish Jews by structuring his words to the old song of servant, not only just a song of servant, a suffering servant, who is the Christ. So he's telling the Jews, yeah, I know this sounds familiar, and what you have heard about the suffering servant is Jesus. And that's the message we proclaim, that the God, the Messiah, came to suffer. And that is the true Messiah, is Jesus. So by building on Isaiah, Paul is making a connection with the Jewish listeners in a very, very deep level, the way they understand. What about Greeks? Greek readers hear the connection too. Greek had a really powerful tradition of heroes who died to save. Um, it's a oration of praising them at the tomb, and it's called Epitaphios. Um, and what they do, and, and one example that we have is when Pericles, 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 Pericles in 430 BC delivered a famous oration praising the Athenians, the people of Athens, who died protecting the city of Athens from Sparta. <laughs> Sparta, right? They did it. Um, 
And I think that's in the, the sequel of the movie that we know. Anyways, and he's done that. I think we actually see it. In the, and it's a famous uh, or, uh, the oration that he's done. And what Paul is doing is there are structures that accompanies that type of oration, the, uh, which is called the epitaphios, and which is delivered every year. So Greeks hear it every year in their celebration. So what Paul has done is he's followed some of the traditions that accompanies praising of the hero who died. So what Greeks are hearing is they're hearing, well, this sounds like a familiar speech. So it's like us hearing a speech and that is similar to like Gettysburg Address. Right? We know that like by Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. <laughs> I hear it if I, you know, I know it if I hear it. And we know it too. Like, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. So Greeks are hearing this and they're thinking, well, this sounds familiar, like the, our oration that we hear about hero who died. And Paul is talking about a hero, but not the one that looks so much like a hero, but who died to save us. So he's also connecting with the Greeks, who are <coughs> divided. So he's using one song, and in its depth, he's connecting with both Greeks and Jews. Okay, so now that we're thoroughly impressed with Paul... Let me just make a couple of points here. I'm almost done. And we've only gone about 30 minutes, so I'm actually keeping my promises. Okay. So, what do we take away from our passage today? There's a lot. I mean, if we were to talk in detail and go through verse by verse, it would take us a very, very long time. So, I'm not going to do that. What do we take away from our passage? I'll make three points, and simple ones too. First, our message... Is the cross. That's Paul's point. His core point is that that's our message. The centrality of cross and our, the necessity for us to preach it, regardless of what culture people come from, what background they come from, is vital. And that's what Paul is saying. And Paul is saying that you can't make message of the cross philosophical or try to make logic of it. This isn't a story or something that you make logic out of. This is simply an event. A saving event in history. And all we're called to do is just tell it. As it happened. We can't make it complex. We can't try to make a, you know, add, you know, just make it as a good speech. And you can't do that. It's just the story that we tell. A story of saving event that happened in history. So what Paul is saying is this. He's saying it's the message message of the cross, it's the message that matters. It's not, and he's not saying just tell it however you want. What he's saying is, hearing this message is what's important. Not how the preacher, how we share it in eloquent word or, or in right, I guess, order or, you know. It's not how elegantly we share it. It's simply reporting what happened in history. So our message is not about slick talk, it's not about philosophy, it's not about making it, adding stuff in. It's not about the preacher, how good a preacher is, it's not about the church building, it's not about the ambience in where we meet, it's not about the music, it's not about what we do and stuff, it's about the message. He's saying, it's about the message. Just be a mailman. <laughs> Josh is a mailman. <laughs> what would happen if your mailman decided to put your stuff out and, oh, this isn't good enough. And start decorating and marking it and adding stuff in it. That's not their job. And our job is, 
we have a story to tell. Message of the cross. Just deliver. Don't decorate it. Just deliver. Also, what Paul is saying is, second is, this message we're sharing, that Christ died for our sin and He rose again, it's foolishness to the world, which means it's pretty crazy. It's crazy talk. He says, just admit it that it's crazy. Just admit it that this isn't going to sound good when you share it. And I shared with you guys before that, and you know this too, when you try to share the gospel story with somebody, you find yourself saying like, this is crazy stuff I'm sharing. I'm, this is nuts, right? It, this makes no sense. I'm sharing it, I'm saying it, but it makes no, this is nonsense I'm sharing, right? Paul is saying, yep, that's right, that's true, admit it. Accept it. That's what it is, right? It is a crazy story. It makes no sense. Imagine it sharing in like today, context of today, right? Context today. There was a there was a virgin in Balboa High School, and she she was engaged with this guy um, who go, who's a contractor, son of a con- Chinese contractor in Sunset District, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, she became pregnant, and he still married her, right? And they went on a camping trip, and the baby was born, right? The baby was born, and he named it Jason. Um, and and baby was born, he grew up, he went to Galileo High School, and, you know, just like his father, he's got a contract with his license, and he's working in the mission, building many houses, because it's a good job. He's a successful, he's doing really well. And then he lived like that for 30 years, and, you know, and then he started doing miracles, right? He started, started performing miracles, you know, and he's walking across the bay on foot, and everyone's seeing he's walking under the Golden Gate Bridge, and 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 he he went to 49ers game, and everyone was hungry, and he grabbed someone's <laughs> In-N-Out burger and fries, and he fed everybody, right? He did that, and and then you know he just he raised Steve Jobs from dead, and he's alive. <laughs> and somehow he was convicted of sin he didn't commit, and he was electrocuted, and he died, and three days he rose again. How does that sound? <laughs> right? Well, you may say, well, that's, that sounds like a superhero. I want to believe in that. But it is a crazy talk. It, it makes no sense, right? So much the word that Greek is used, it's moronic. This stuff that we share is moronic. But we still have to proclaim it. Because cross is the key to knowing God. Who God is and what God should do for us are completely destroyed at the cross. Why would God die? Why would God get defeated? Why would God die for us? That is not the image of who God is in our mind. It gets destroyed. Right? It gets destroyed. So you have two choices. Either look for God that fits your thoughts, or take this God. Right? You start at the cross, and you ask, what does this God, what does the cross say about this God? What does the cross say about who I am, and the purpose of my life, and all of that? Right? When you look at the cross, when you share the cross, it shatters people's value of knowledge, power, it just destroys it, it turns, flips upside down. That's the cross. We get to know God the best for who He is most correctly at the cross. So we have to preach it. 
We have to preach it. And we have to preach it even though it sounds ridiculous. Somebody has to do it. And preaching is not that. You know, there are, you go to different churches and they say, oh, we don't do preaching anymore. We sit around in a circle, we share each other's thoughts. And it's not just one preacher, there's multiple preachers and they argue with each other. That's, I don't think that's the way we want to do it because I think someone has to yell it, yell and tell the story as it is. This is what happened. This is what it means. Go wrestle with it. So we have to preach the story of the cross. Second, almost done. Two more. Second thing that Paul is saying is that all of us is in the process of being saved or destroyed. You look at it at the very beginning, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those in the process of perishing and those in the process of saved. And the, why, the reason I say in the process is the, the Greek word that's used here is present, uh, present participles, which means something that God has done, the, the activity of what happened on the cross in the past is completed and it's lasting through the present and it affects this moment. It affects us presently. So in other words, those who love that... In other words, we are being saved. It's not like we're, I'm saved, done. We are in the process of being saved. And people are in the process of being saved, whether they know it or not. Whether they have come to full place where they confessed and baptized and all of that, they are being saved. Some people are in the process of being destroyed. They are dying. Some are being saved. Some are dying. So, what that means is, there are people who get the message, and there are people who just don't get it. And the reason is, and Paul says in Romans, the reason people don't become believers, is they are unwilling, because they resist the truth in righteousness. That's in Romans Romans chapter 1. Because they don't want to hear it. They hear it, but they don't want to hear it. They hear that God is humble, and they say, I don't want to be humble. They hear that God is sinless, and they say, I don't want to stop sinning. They hear that God is loving. said, I don't want to stop loving myself and loving others. I don't want to do that, right? Or they're blind. They just don't see. You can't point out to people something they can't see, right? Because they can't see who you're pointing out at. So what this means is, Paul says, just preach. Proclaim the message of the cross. If people don't get it, don't get upset. Don't try to fancy decorate it. They don't get it because they can't see it. They're blind. Be patient with them. Be loving. And I believe that our community as a lifelight, we want to be a welcoming place for those who want to know more about Jesus. But we are, we have to be patient and loving and waiting and just share, hey, keep coming back. Get to know. And pray for them that God will open their eyes. Right? And be patient. Lastly, what we see here is Paul, in part 1 and part 13, Paul says, God was, I was sent, and he says, I came. God acts to send Paul, and Paul responds by coming. And the same thing appears in part 4 and 9. The believers are called, which is act of God, but they must believe, which is in part 9. That's their act. God calls, and we must believe. 
we need to respond. What that means, while we believe that we are in the process of being saved and process of being destroyed, in that process, we also have to respond. You can't just wait. And I think some of us just wait. Just wait for something more clear, something more better. If God does this to me, I start believing. God, if I come into this place where I'm comfortable, where I'm, well, you know, then I start going to church, I believe. Or if God show me more miracles, if I see some of my more prayers being answered, then I start believing more. I start responding to God. We, God calls, but we need to answer. We need to respond. At the cross, like the song, at the cross, we respond. Because at the cross, God called us. And at the cross, God gave us the true wisdom and power. You look at verse 30, it says, He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. And here's what we receive. We receive the righteousness, which means our relationship with God has been reconciled. We receive sanctification, which means we are no longer living out of sinful nature. And we receive redemption, our sins. We are rescued from sin. We received it at the cross, and we want to invite those we know at the cross. And while we are being patient and loving and praying for them, we also encourage them to, you know, respond. How would you respond to this? Respond. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for simple act that you had committed but so much you sacrificed. And I hope that all of us, while we don't get it, that we receive it and we respond to it. Help us to dig deeper and to understand what it does that mean for us in our response to you. Help us to engage and chase after the true wisdom and the power. And that the message of Christ will truly turn our lives upside down. That we look for stuff that is foolish in the world, but is glorious and powerful and wise in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.